Praise the Lord. New wineskins. Is the Lord making out of your life a new wineskin? Praise the Lord. Well, last Sunday we made a proclamation at the beginning of the message. I want to um, reiterate that proclamation that this is not the end of our fast. No, this is the end of the beginning of our fast. So this is the beginning of a new reset. Praise the Lord. God is resetting us to his number one principle of faith. And if you remember from last week, God's number one principle of faith is quoted in 2 Chronicles, which most all of us can quote, 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, the Lord said, um, then, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven Forgive their sins and heal their land. Well, if you want to extract out from that the mechanics that makes that verse work, and you should do this because this is the number one principle of faith. When I say number one principle of faith, what I'm telling you is that you can learn, memorize, and quote the Bible. You can believe Mark 11, 23, whosoever shall say to the mountain or or 1 Peter 2.24, with his stripes we were healed. You can quote those things. You can believe them with all of your heart. And no mountain will move and no healing will come and nothing will happen just because you are quoting, even believing when you quote. Because the number one principle on faith, of faith on which confessing the word actually pivots and actually works is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And it's simply this, distilling that mechanism out of that verse, it sounds something like this. If my people, then I will. If my people, then I will. And remember that, that God is willing to do many great and glorious things. And yes, He does them through our faith. But it's not faith that is simply dry and mental. It's faith that we commune in prayer with God, in repentance and opening up and breaking up the, the fallow ground of our hearts and furrowing our hearts before God and opening those hearts when the Lord reminds us of His Word and we remember that Word and we stand for that Word before God. Hallelujah. Then if my people... I will when my people praise the Lord. So now, people, we have concluded a 21-day fast, but we are not finished. We've just simply finished the beginning of our journey. So now we must determine to let him continue to reform. Everyone say reform. Because that word reform is going to become important in this brief message that I'm going to share with you this morning. We must be determined to let him reform us into new wineskins around a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. Didn't you feel that when you were seeking God and fasting and praying? Didn't you feel like, this is it, this is what I've been missing. I need to let the Lord do more than just discipline me so that, um, you know, I'm, I'm walking in the Word or having a devotional time. But I need the Lord to bring me back to this place where I am regularly fasting and turning the flesh, uh, putting the flesh underneath 
and, and lifting up the, the dictates of the Word and of the Spirit of God, and I'm seeking the Lord for filling. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament could be described as the Old Testament is about believing God, but the New Testament is about receiving God. The Old Testament is about learning about God, but the New Testament is about experiencing Him, being filled with Him. The entire New Testament really pivots on Jesus who came to fill you. Be filled with the Spirit, the Bible says. And so God is saying, I called you to this fast to make new wineskins out of your life. And let me tell you this morning, the new wine is coming. Let me say it again. The new wine is coming. It is coming. The new wine is coming. And just like when I preach the message, up to speed. You need to get up to speed. You need to be running along those tracks because when that train comes, you've got to hop on board. You can't do it from your recliner. You can't do it sitting still. You can't do it in Old Testament theology. You've got to be running after Jesus to hop that anointing train when it comes by. So let me tell you, the new wine is coming. We need new wineskins. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, why do we need new wineskins? Well, <clears throat> if you could visualize the old wineskins from back in the Middle East, you might visualize something like a, a medium-sized mammal that's had its innards pulled out, had its holes plugged up except for one, cleaned out and conditioned, and then filled with wine. And those guys, those wineskins are ugly from the outside. You know, they're not those pretty little wineskins you used to carry under your arm when you were in college tripping around Europe. Um, those wineskins are nasty looking on the outside, but they're filled with the new wine. Now, because they are skins, guess what happens when they're left empty? They dry out. Thank you. They dry out. They get hard. They get brittle. And so Jesus said, Jesus said, you cannot put new wine into old wineskins. You need new wineskins. Can you say amen? amen? So a wineskin becomes old, dried out, and stiff because of emptiness. Everyone say emptiness. You can have your Bible, believe the Word of God, and be the emptiest person in the church. And so let me tell you this morning, we are praying and fasting and seeking God to deal with the emptiness that dries out the wine skit that is our life. So it's emptiness that turns wineskins into dried, brittle wineskins, of which Jesus said, I can't fill them. Because you've let the wine stay out so long, it's dried up. So it's a lack of wine. And in the Bible, new wine or the wine is a symbol of what? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. Let me say it again. Wine, the new wine, is symbolic of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so a wineskin is what? It's a believer filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a believer manifesting what Jesus said in John. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit which they that believe in him should receive. And you should receive. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, why would we let our wineskin become dry? Your wineskin's not dry because you stopped believing God. 
Your wine skin's not dry because you quit going to church. A lot of people go to church dried up, stiff as a board. Haven't had, haven't had a filling of wine in years. You know what I'm talking about? Why would a wineskin get empty and to the point where it dries out and it can't be refilled in that condition again without breaking and destroying it and losing the wine? By the way, that answers the question why sometimes in our churches there is not an outpouring of the Holy Spirit because God looks at the congregation and he sees old brittle wineskins. He sees wineskins that will break if he pours his spirit into them. Are you listening to me? Hear what I'm saying to you today. We think that God is magical, but God's not magical. God's relational. Magical is when God takes reality and just simply changes it and doesn't require any responsibility of those that have to live within the parameters of reality. But that's magic. Our God is relational. And our God says you're a wineskin, and to receive that new wine, you must be a new wineskin a prepared wineskin, a qualified wineskin, and God can't pour the new wine out in a church or in an individual's life who's become brittle, stiff, and dry. They must go, and you'll find out before this message is over with, how to get a new wineskin. So don't fall apart. Don't be depressed. If your wineskin of your life is dried out, brittle, and cracking, don't feel like that's it. God can't fill me with the Holy Spirit. He most certainly can So I'm going to share with you this morning how to get yourself prepared. But for 21 days, you have been renewing those old wineskins. If you're not fully renewed, then you really need to listen to what I'm saying. I'm preaching to myself and to you this morning. Well, let me tell you why I think some of us have um, allowed ourselves to get into the position where we have become dried out. Um, Some of us have been, and I, and I really struggled over the next word, what I wanted to use to, to describe what I was seeing in one day when I was in prayer. And the word traumatized came to me. And I want you to think of people that are traumatized. Perhaps think of a child that's traumatized. They go in their room, they hide under their bed, they throw a fit, they go in a closet, they don't communicate. Sometimes they act up, they act out. Um, because they're traumatized. Sometimes they become withdrawn. They don't communicate. But you can always tell when a child's been traumatized, they just don't walk, talk, or act normal. Are you listening to me? So I selected that word, and I'll put it in the sentence and say it to you. Some of us have been traumatized into dryness, By the abuses and carnival-like atmosphere, we sometimes saw the gifts of the Holy Spirit practiced in by previous generations. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean very simply is some of us who've been around long enough to watch various generations receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and what those churches and evangelists and ministers and people did with the gifts of the Spirit and the anointing and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has had sometimes a drying effect upon us, meaning that some of us have withdrawn from the things of the Spirit, pulled back because of things that we saw. I use the term carnival-like atmosphere. Some of us have seen the gifts of the Spirit displayed in an arrogant or a pompous or a foolish or sometimes in just downright unscriptural way. A way that took attention from Jesus and put it on the individual. A way that exalted the flesh of somebody. 
or um, made the Holy Spirit look foolish rather than practical. Even when God's foolish, His foolishness is wiser than men, the Bible says. But we've seen some foolishness that just is plain foolishness. You just can't call it anything else. And so sometimes God's people back away from the outpouring of the Spirit. They begin to dry up from speaking in tongues because they might see things they don't understand or don't agree with or things that might have been wrong. Or they, they begin to pull back from prophesying or they don't cast out spirits anymore because of some of the things they've seen done that were done in an inappropriate way. And so we do what I often refer to as throwing the baby out with the bathwater or tossing out the chicken with the bones. If you bring a chicken home from uh, Sam's Club, you don't uh, pull half the meat away from the carcass to pull that, throw that bone away, you strip it off. Always freaks me out to watch Kathy bring those chickens home. I think only a woman can do this. She gets her hands in that chicken carcass. The fat, the juice, the meat's all in her hands and fingers. And I'm like, ooh. I just don't know how she can do that. I would be with a fork and a knife just trying to cut it away, but she's pulling and ripping. By the time she's done, those bones are just about bleached dry. She'll throw that carcass out. There's nothing on that. She's got everything sacked up, ready to be used for some meals or a soup or something like that. Knows how to strip the meat from the bone. Doesn't throw any of the meat away. But see, that's not us. We have seen in previous generations absurdities and abuses connected with the gifts of the Spirit and the outpouring of the Spirit. And it's caused us to pull back. We have thrown the whole chicken out, some of us. Our wineskin became dry because we didn't want to be one of those people walking around with the new wine. Because new wine people were behaving crazy. Can you say amen? But folks... That's not a good argument for letting your wineskin get dry. Listen to what God says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 7. To each person. Now let me ask you that are here this morning or those that may be listening under the sound of my voice. Are you included in God's each person group? Anybody else? I am included in God's each person group. I am an each person. So God says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. Now maybe that's where the problems begin to get off track and begin to occur was the manifestation of the Spirit was used for the benefit of somebody's ego or spiritual pride rather than the benefit of all. I think in most cases it's something like that. But whatever it is, rather than correcting it, moving on, which is what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, so that the Corinthian church would not lose the manifestation of the Spirit, but press ahead in the manifestation of the Spirit and do it profitably rather than unprofitably. So let me ask you this question. If the manifestation of the Spirit, of the gifts of the Spirit, are given to you, each person, to profit with all, with what, then, 
shall we benefit the church of this generation that we are facing if not with the gifts of the Spirit? You tell me what we are going to offer to this generation if it is not the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit referred to by Paul as the manifestation. Because you can manifest a smart teacher. You can manifest a zealous Christian. You can manifest somebody who can put words together intelligently and uh, can construct uh, homiletics and, and uh, an argument, uh, apologetics for the gospel. But you cannot manufacture Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. You cannot manufacture the gift of prophecy, tongues, interpretation, gifts of healings, working of miracles, the gift of faith. Those things cannot be manufactured. They must be manifested by people who are full and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody say amen. If you're seeing where we're going, I want you to tell me, and you don't have to do it you know, with your eyes or with your mouth, just a... Um, rhetorically, I ask the question, I want you to tell me with what are we going to profit this generation if it is not with the prophets that God has put in the Holy Spirit for us, saying you shall receive each one of you the gift of the Holy Spirit to profit with all. We must break away from the old brittle resistance that we've allowed to grow up in us, the old brittle resistance to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Now you and I, we are a Spirit-filled church, so we're probably thinking, well, why don't resist the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm here to tell you that I resist the Holy Spirit. Now you may be above it all, and maybe you never resist the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I suppose you, you might be one of those, and that's wonderful. Praise the Lord. But Acts 7 and 51, just as Stephen was about to die being, being stoned with rocks for preaching Jesus, he is preaching to the crowd and he makes this pivotal statement and it was this statement that made them take the rocks they were holding in their hands and cock back and start throwing them with all their might at his head. And this is what he said that, that precipitated that reaction. You people who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your hearts and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just as your fathers did. And they flipped out. They flipped out. He got up in front of a bunch of church people and said, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Your fathers did and you're doing it. And they flipped out. He was saying, you are a bunch of dried up, brittle wineskins. God is trying to make you new wineskins. He wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. It is fasting and prayer. We're going to get down to this in a few minutes. That really puts us in a position to be filled and to have that wineskin renewed. But think about resisting the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants to say, I resist the Holy Spirit. Nobody wants to say there's anything in me but absolute hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit. But there are things in us besides hunger and thirst for the Holy Spirit. Right. 
can we, can we tell, if you can't tell the truth in church, where are you going to tell the truth at? Amen? Amen. So, what is resisting the Holy Spirit? I mean, what is this, this thing that, that God obviously does not want occurring in our life? That empties the wine out of the wineskin and leaves it out in the sun to, to dry. Think of resisting the Holy Spirit or how you get to the place of resisting the Holy Spirit as drifting away from the Holy Spirit. Drifting away. Have you ever taken something that floats and tossed it on a slow-moving stream and watched it drift downstream? Watched it drift away until it's out of reach and then until it's out of sight? Drifting away is really the Christian way of resisting the Holy Spirit. Here's how it works. As experience accumulates, self-reliance grows. It's like mold in a dark and damp place. As you are a Christian, months and then years, and you have experiences and you see things and you've been a Christian for many years and the years turn into decades, you accumulate experience. With the accumulation of experience usually comes the afterbirth called self-reliance. The occupational hazard of experience is self-reliance. I know how to do it. I can handle it. And so we end up spending less time in God's presence receiving not just His plans, but receiving His power. And we simply grab the template of how God had us do it yesterday. And we simply run out with the templates rather than the power. Because we know what he's going to do. That's the way he did it then. This is the way he's going to do it. Now, but did it ever occur to you that you would go hungry if you had to eat last year's steak? Now, you can have a steak like you had last year. But I hope you're not going to try to go back and find that steak you ate last year and re-eat it. I don't think, I don't think so. So those old templates and that experience is wonderful. But let me tell you what experiences is good for. Experience is good for you if you let it teach you to keep going to God. And to keep asking Him, Lord, pour out that anointing. When this understanding, when this template was formed in me, it was because I was before you in fasting and prayer. You spoke to me and I heard it. So, Lord, I'm not going to grab this template and go run out and try to apply it to the first demon-possessed person or the first opportunity to bring someone to Jesus or whatever the challenge or situation is. Instead, I come to you again today the way I came to you last year. Lord, give me the plan and give me the word and give me the power of the Holy Ghost. This is why churches become like concrete. And after a while... The songs that you used to love, you start hating. If I hear it one more time, I'm going to scream. My God, can't we do something different? That desire to do something different isn't necessarily bad. But it's not really different that you're looking for. You think in terms of different, but God is thinking in terms of the fresh, right now, anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit makes what's old new. The anointing of the Holy Spirit makes life wonderful. I like to say it like this. Jesus puts the life into living. 
You don't need a new experience in life. You need to be renewed in life. Can you say amen? You see, allowing our experiences to develop self-reliance turns us into resistors of the Holy Spirit rather than manifestors of the Holy Spirit. Remember it says that the gifts of the Spirit were given to each one of you to manifest the Spirit. And so even those that used to manifest the Spirit can be turned into resistors of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example of King Saul. How many of you remember the story about King Saul? I'm not going to go through the whole story, but the one thing, if you do remember it, if not, go back and read about him in Samuel and Kings. But the one thing about uh, Saul is he is a, he is a uh, uh, tragic and a very frightening character. He's probably the scariest, most frightening character in the Bible. The reason I say he's the most frightening is because of the fear that he might become me. I might become Saul. That's why he is the most frightening character in the Bible. Saul <clears throat> lived in a time when Israel was under judges. And God raised up judges, one of which was Samuel. And Samuel was the judge over Israel at the time, the prophet Samuel. And Israel decided they wanted to be like other nations and they wanted a king. And, and Samuel said, God doesn't want you to have a king. He is your king. And he has sent you prophets to help guide you and shepherd you, but he is your king. But no, they insisted and they wanted a king and they wanted him to go anoint a king so they could have a king like the Philistines and the Amorites and all the rest of them. So at any rate, finally the Lord relented and gave in to them and said, All right, Samuel, go to such and such house. You'll find a young man there. He's really tall. He's good looking, got red hair and, and everything. And... Uh, he is the man that I've chosen to go ahead and be king. And I want you to pour the oil on him. I want you to anoint him to be the king. And he goes and he anoints Saul to be king. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost came on Saul. And the Bible says it turned him into another man. And Saul went from being just some young man running around his town and village into a prophet. And the Bible says the saying went throughout Israel, is Saul among the prophets? He started running around with the prophets prophesying. The man got filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says it turned him, it changed him. He became a wine skin filled with the anointing wine of God. But you know the story that in the passage of time as he gained experience as the king, it all started to go to his head and he began to pray less and less. He began to rely on God less and less. He began to disobey and he began to, um, he began to control his obedience so that his obedience accommodated him rather than accommodating God. Until one day, finally God was just about fed up and ready to kick him to the curb. And uh, the prophet Samuel said to Saul, Saul, you're going to go to this battle. You're going to defeat this king. And uh, the Lord's going to give you the victory. But before you offer the sacrifices and worship God with the sacrifices, you wait. I don't care how many days it takes. You wait until I come. I'm the prophet of God. You wait till I come and I will be there and I will lead that service. But the Bible says, no, Saul, Saul saw that as being impractical. 
And so Saul decides, rather than obeying God and killing the king and killing every soldier and killing every living thing in that army, even the animals, he saved all the best cows, because he's looking at them thinking, hmm, steak, looking at the lamb chops. So he kept the animals. He kept the king because the king was a trophy. He could lead him around on a leash. So he has the king is alive and and he goes ahead and he has his service and he sacrifices unto, unto Jehovah. <clears throat> so here comes Samuel. Samuel can see that they've had the service, made the sacrifice. He hears the sheep and the cows. He sees the king. And Samuel says, what have you done? And the Holy Ghost comes on Samuel and he says, the Lord is going to rip the kingdom from you this day. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, Saul became that dried out wineskin. But when it came time again and again and again for that wineskin to be softened, he just continued to become more hard and more brutal until he crossed that point of no return. Now, I don't know, that being in the Old Testament, I don't know if that point of no return exists in the New Testament. The Bible says the mercy of God is above the heavens and His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. That was not manifest in the Old Testament. The Savior Jesus had not come. They weren't living under a covenant of grace. But in this testament, as long as we have breath in our lungs and as long as Jesus is sitting on the throne, that old dried out wineskin in your life could be renewed. Hallelujah. But just see the process of how Saul became dried out. But today, I've got good news. Today is a new day. We need new wineskins for a new generation. I don't care what they did back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I don't care about all the nonsense we saw in the, in the big arenas and and uh, people blowing people over and people barking and running around like chickens. You know what? I could care less. Has nothing to do with me, had nothing to do with us. This is a new generation, a new time. And I am not about to let the foolish old methods dictate how we receive the Spirit and operate in the Spirit today. The Word is the only guideline we need, and there's not a lot of limitation in this thing. It is pretty wide open. Can you say amen? This is a new day. We need new wineskins, new God-honoring, Jesus-centered methods of operating in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I'm bringing this down to the real nitty-gritty, and I want you to listen to me. Those gifts of the Holy Spirit that I quoted you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are not a lot of limitations on how they operate. Sky's the limit. God is filled with all kinds of imagination. So if you and I are going to become new wineskins, I would like to challenge you. Let's think of some new ways to do church. Let's think of some ways that make place for the gifts of the Spirit to operate. Now here's the first thing that I need to tell you. We always... Think of church as an institution, which means we look at the pastor and we think it's the pastor's responsibility to have the gifts operating in the church. Well, the pastor's a pretty big part of it. He's 
got to admit, you know, he's the guy with the gavel and, and he's got the watch and all of that stuff. But let me tell you something. I don't care who your pastor is. The pastor cannot in and of himself be responsible for the gifts flowing in your life. If you want the Holy Ghost moving in your life, get on your face. Fast and pray and seek God. Because let me tell you something. You begin to get around God's people, fellowship in those house gatherings, come into church, and you've spent time in the presence of God, and you're full of the Holy, and the gifts are starting to move in your life, you'll find a place to get that gift out. Amen. You'll find an opportunity. Yes. That wine will get out. Yes. That anointing will flow. It will flow. Yes. Can you say amen? amen? See, what usually happens is nobody's got anything. That's the real truth. Nobody's got anything that's, you know, it's a little bit in there, but it's not really bubbling up and ready to come out. And I'm not going to brag. I just simply want to tell you why I know what I know is so. I remember when I was a kid filled with the Holy Ghost and, and that with a burning fire. And I used to go to church. I had a friend of mine that pastored an all-black church in Atlanta. He's an old white dude. He's the only white guy in the church. Some old white dude, an old black. Used to go into that church, Lighthouse Assembly, out on Peachtree Street in Atlanta. Used to go visit. I was a skinny teen, about 19, 18, 19 years old. And used to go, and I loved going in that church because they'd get to praising God. Yes. Now, they did not stop and get quiet. And give you your little space to get up and do your thing. Amen. You had to make that space. Amen. But I knew they appreciated the anointing of the Holy yes, Ghost. Lord. And so the music would start. Yes, and people start praising God. And here would come little old brother Turner. Couldn't have been more than about five foot two. He'd go back behind the sheet. Because they didn't have a back wall like we did. They had a sheet that hung from the from the ceiling to the floor in a little bitty platform. He'd go disappear behind the sheet and you'd hear this boom, 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 boom. Now y'all that hate bass drums would hate this church. But I loved it. He came swinging out of that thing with a great big Salvation Army bass drum strapped on himself and he came out with both mallets. Boom, 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 boom. They didn't have organ. They had a lot of tambourines all over the pews. So a bunch of tambourines and brother so-and-so's great big drum. And he would beat that thing up and down the aisles. And they'd be praising God. Hallelujah. Singing, pour out the wine, pour out the wine. I am the branch, but you are the vine. You are the one that crushes all that's mine. So I will say, amen, Lord, pour out the wine. And they just go on singing that thing forever. Hallelujah. Walk out on the water, Peter. Don't be afraid. Sing that thing every time I was up there. But you know there'd be that little slot in between songs. And I would get my, thus saith the Lord, in between that little, I'd get it out there. Boom! Hallelujah. Now, like I said, I was full of a lot of zeal. So there could have been some times when I was out of order. It probably was. But let me tell you, Jesus did teach me how to launch that boat. Yes, sir. I learned how to move in the anointing because yes. I was fearless. Yes. And I was more than happy to have the pastor say, <laughs> hold that to later, sit down. I didn't get offended. What did I care? I'm just a, 
I'm just a prophecy wanting to happen. Thus saith the Lord. So, you know, I'm not going to get offended. And, and you know, some, some Christians are just so above everything. They can't stand being corrected or they can't stand somebody redirecting them. I just thought, well, if I get redirected. You know, some, I had some friends that were like that. You know, they thought they were God's premium gift. And, and so if some, they went into some church and it, it didn't seem like a, their prophecy was, they'd shake the dust off their feet. And say, well, you, you, you didn't receive Jesus. No, they didn't receive you. They love Jesus. They just didn't receive you at that moment. Big deal. You know, if you're going to get offended, you're never going to grow. Amen. God, you can forget it. God's never, you're never really going to have any kind of walk with the Lord. You, it takes being tough and being kind, being broken, and just staying under the spout where the anointing is pouring out. And so we need to find new ways to let the anointing of God move among us. I, I guess I'm speaking extemporaneously to you this morning because I'm trying to get past your head, get into your heart, and let you hear my heart. You know, I think if you hear some of these things you're saying, you'll be like, oh, okay, now I know where he's at and how he thinks. I expect people to step out, fall on their face, get up and do it again. I don't expect people to step out and not make a mistake and then, that's it, all right, you're, you're finished. Do you understand? We're supposed to be learning. We step out, we move in the Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. So this is a new day. We need new God-honoring, Jesus-centered methods of operating in the gifts of the Spirit. On Monday night, January the 15th, we were at Millie's house in prayer during in the middle of our fast, 15th day of that fast. And Chris Dunn prayed. I'm sure he, I'm sure he knew how um, significant his prayer was, but the power of God was on that prayer. And when he prayed, he prayed for us. He prayed for our church. And I heard the word of the Lord as he was praying. And he prayed and he said, Oh God, Show us, words to this effect, show us how to rearrange our services so that it becomes a house of prayer. Show us how we can pray. How prayer can become the centerpiece of what we do. Everything in me rose up and just said, oh yes, Jesus, do it. I would trade everything for that. Let's do it. And you know, when you're, when you're seeking God and wanting to take big steps and make a move like that, it's an awkward time. You know, things get a little awkward. But the thing that will get you through it is desire. If you thirst and truly want the visitation of God more than everything, you'll cry after it. The ministers will weep between the porch and the altar and seek God for it. Hallelujah. You see, our enemy is not our form. It's our function. The mistake that too many people make is think, they think, you know, the, the trouble is the service. It's three songs and, and then announcements and, and offering. And that's the same old, that's the problem. It, it's the form. The problem is not the form. God can change and re, he can anoint that form, change it, rearrange it. The problem is the function. You see, when God gets into a service and people, and with, and through people whom he has gotten into their hearts, that's what I'm trying to say is you've got to fast and pray and get the power and the Holy Ghost in your heart. 
and it starts moving. That's what changes the form. It's called function. And it's called functioning in the Holy Ghost. Anybody can sit back and criticize what's happening or isn't happening. I'm, I'm the biggest critic of them all. I'm, I, I'm critical of myself. I'm critical of you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you don't live 64 years and not learn how to be critical. If you haven't learned how to be critical, you're a dunce. You haven't been paying attention for 64 years. But obviously being critical isn't the answer. Satan's critical. He's the accuser of the brethren. It's the thing I hate most in me. Is being critical of myself and being critical of you. When I know that what we need to fix this, the wineskin is what I'm going to tell you right now. You see, when Jesus said you can't put new wine in old bottles or old wineskins, I always thought he was saying, throw away the old dried up wineskin. Get a new one. Didn't you? That's what you thought. You can't put new wine into old bottles. But what he really was talking about, because he understood wineskins in his day, those people didn't go through all the hard work of making a wineskin and then throw it away every time it got dry. That's ridiculous. Those people weren't rich. And those wineskins were, were, frankly, probably quite expensive. Jesus said, if you want to have the new wine, you must renew your old dried out wineskin. I hope receiving the new wine isn't dependent upon God throwing away this old wineskin and replacing it with something. Now, you may hope that he does that, but I hope that that's not what it is. I hope he's able to renew this old wineskin. And I would prefer that rather than throw you out, he renew you. Because we're not going to find anybody better than you. We're not going to find a better wineskin than you. Do you realize this is agape? This is love talking. There's not a better Terry. There's not a better Helen. There's not a better Chris Giselle. There's not a, um, a better Jesse. There's not a, a better um, Pat. There's, there's not a better Glenn. Praise the Lord. So, so God wants to renew the wineskin. Do you know what, what happens? That old wineskin was emptied out, and because they didn't refill it with wine immediately, it shrunk, and it dried, and it became hard and brittle. Now if you put the new wine in it, it'll break, and what Jesus said would happen would happen. The wineskin will be ruined, and the wine will be lost. So what a good Jewish wineskin owner did back in the day is he took his brittle, dried wineskin, and he found a vat of water and plunged it under the water and worked it, filling it with water and letting it sit under the water until the water began to work itself into the hide and begin to loosen it up, working on the cellular um, um, uh, makeup of that skin. Then after it was soaked and saturated, and by the way, I have taken old dried leather, leather and done this with it, so I, could, I visualized it, I could see what it is in my mind's eye. 
And uh, once that, and it takes a while for that water to penetrate the dryness. It really doesn't happen quickly. But once it was done, they would take it out of the water. And then they would get olive oil. And they'd shed all the water off of it. And then over time, they'd start massaging the oil into that skin. Working it, kneading it, rubbing in the oil. And it would take perhaps days but eventually that skin would come back to life and it would be just as good as before and it would be supple and it would be ready to be filled with new wine. Now what's, what are we talking about here, folks? We're talking about the washing of the water of the Word of God. You see, you need to take your brittle self and you need to start submerging yourself in the Word. Start your day in the Word. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Just say, Lord, begin to soften me. At first, you're going to feel like a foreign object in a foreign environment. Just like those dried skins felt they had nothing, no permeating going on. But you stay at it and that word, the washing of the word, the water will begin to soften your heart. Won't it, Terry? It'll begin to soften you and your thoughts will begin to ease up to the Word of God. That, that initially, when you start reading the Word, your mind will be on the TV shows you watched the night before or the things you've got to do during the day. You'll want to jump up and run, but keep yourself buried in that Word. Then, once you've gotten saturated and softened up in the Word of God, and you can't, there's no replacement. If you're not willing to do that, you might as well just get ready to break. You're, you're never going to get anywhere. You've got to do that. But then the next thing, the oil is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You begin to come before the Lord and say, Lord, start massaging me. And He slowly and methodically starts working those joints in your life. Working your mind, working your heart, working your, your being. This is what fasting and prayer is. It's pushing aside the demands of the flesh that wants to dominate your life and keep it brittle and hard and dependent upon templates and habits and experience rather than getting out of the boat like Peter did and saying, Jesus, I'm coming to you on the water. If it's not you holding me up, I'm going to drown. Folks, fasting and prayer is getting out of the boat. It's getting out there where only Jesus can keep you from drowning. And He's the only one out there. And we need to get into the presence of God in fasting and prayer and let Him take that water and then take that oil and revive the wine skin that is your life. When that's done, the filling is going to take place. Listen to me. God is not a fool. He's not going to pour out the anointing. We're not going to have a new Pentecost if the people in Clearwater just want church as usual, have a little 21-day fast, and then it's all over with, and go back to just, you know. If you have not reached that point of the dryness giving way, then keep going. Stay after God. Because really, listen to me, Christian, if you're not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then what are you going to do? What are you? What is the purpose? 
What did you think you're going to have fulfillment in your life going to church or succeeding in business or finding a wife or a husband, raising a family or, or uh, recreating or any of the other things that we enjoy in life that God intends to be a blessing for us? The blessings of God are not going to make you happy. The only thing that's going to make you happy is the Holy Ghost moving through your life. God using you, the gifts of the Spirit operating in you. Nothing else fulfills a Christian. Nothing else gives a wineskin a sense of purpose than being filled with the new wine. I, for one, am not going to stop until every patch of dryness, until every wall of stiffness in my mind, in my heart, in the habits of my life is broken down and the anointing of God finds supple, willing, and moldable uh, 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 receptivity in my soul. Can you say amen? amen. How about you? Amen. How do you feel this morning? Where are you at today? Hallelujah. I want you to close your Bible. This would be a good place to just sort of stop this message and uh, come together. If I get Pastor Terry to come up here,